This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. We're going to take a few minutes here and look at the scripture and look at the original Christmas story. Uh, This is a family event, and so I realize just hearing that news that there's more to come and it's a preacher, uh, could be terrifying if you have a four-year-old or a five-year-old with you right now. We all feel your pain, and so the lights will remain off, so no one will know who is squirming, and if someone becomes uh, uncontrollably, unbearably uh, squirmy, be they child or adult, you may take them to the uh, outside, and it will not disturb anybody if you need to get up and go. So that is totally fine. But we did want to just take a moment and look at the original Christmas story. I'm going to read a few verses from Luke 2 today and comment on them very briefly, uh, and then we will uh, conclude following that. The drama really enacted the temptation that is real for all of us in this culture, and that is to somehow, through our circumstances, architect and design and script the perfect Christmas. And the point that they made so dramatically, dare I say, through the drama, was that the perfect Christmas doesn't come on our terms. The perfect Christmas comes on God's terms. And here's the reality. Here's the reality for the believer in Jesus Christ, that we live our lives on this foundation, that God is working perfectly even when it doesn't seem that way. That God is working perfectly even when it doesn't seem that way. And that is a theme that comes through loud and clear in the original Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. You see, Mary and Joseph had traveled from their hometown of Nazareth to Bethlehem because there was a census that was being taken throughout the Roman Empire. And you had to go to the the city of your forefathers and register. And uh, so they had traveled. They were more than engaged, but less than married. They were betrothed. So you had an engagement, then you had a betrothal, which was a legal connection, and, uh, and then there was the formal marriage. The formal marriage was when you made your covenant together, and then you consummated the marriage. So during the time of betrothal, they had yet to consummate their marriage. They were unmarried, and they were traveling as a couple. And this is what it says, uh, verse 5. Uh, Joseph had traveled to to the city of David, verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. His betrothed, who was with child. The woman who was yet his wife, yet to be his wife, and she was with child. Does that sound perfect? For anyone looking on, that would not have been perfect at all. Not at all. They were from a small town where everyone knows everyone and everyone knows everyone's business and Mary is pregnant and they are not married. So Jesus was born to unmarried parents. Now that's a very familiar experience in our culture. But 2,000 years ago in small town Israel, It it was not acceptable, it was not familiar, it was scandalous for anyone looking on. So Mary and Joseph would be a couple that would be judged, that would be criticized, that would be whispered about. Their story wouldn't be believed. I mean, who would believe their story? 
They would be frowned upon, in some cases perhaps even rejected. People would have a false impression of them. Does it sound perfect? Well, not at all from a human point of view. Someone looking on would say, perfect? No, disgraceful. And yet, God is working perfectly even when those around can't see. You see, what we find in the Scripture was the chapter before an angel appears to Mary. She's a young girl, probably in her teens, uh, maybe even young teens, and, and an angel appears to her and says that you're going to carry the Messiah. You're going to give birth to the king who will reign forever. And, and she says, how can this be? I am a virgin. And this is what the angel says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This child will be the Son of God. See, what the angel said is that other people won't understand this right now, but the Holy Spirit is going going to give you a child. You are going going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth, carry the Son of God, and give birth to the perfect, holy Son of God. See, this is perfect. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is conceived by the Holy Spirit and carried by a human woman, Mary. And so he is God, he is sinless as God, but he's completely human as well, fully human and fully divine, so that he could be the perfect Savior, both God and man, to reconcile man to God, that he could make a way to bridge the barrier and bring sinful humanity back back into a restored, reconciled relationship with God because he is God and man, the perfect mediator, the perfect Savior. But who would have known just looking on what God was doing? The passage continues, verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The city is crowded because of this census. There's no hotels to stay in, no inns to stay in where they could receive hospitality. And it comes time for her to give birth. And so she presumably gives birth among animals because the passage says that as soon as Jesus was born, he was laid in a manger. A manger was a feeding trough for animals. So Jesus was likely born in a cattle stall or in a barn or some speculate like an animal cave where they kept their animals, but he was born in some place like this. Does that sound like the perfect delivery for the Son of God? I mean, think about Mary for a moment. She's a young girl. She's away from her mom. She's away from her family. She's giving birth among the animals, alone, far from home, with all of these puzzling circumstances around her. I have four children, and so I've been at four different births. Um, If I count my own, I've been at five births, Uh, though my memory's a bit foggy on that one. Um, I remember a light and somebody saying he's cute, but beyond that, I really don't remember a lot about my own birth. It's a long time ago. But I've been at four births, and even with modern technology and in a modern environment, there's nothing easy about giving birth, and not for my wife either. It was not easy for her either in those moments. (laughs) And so if you are Mary giving birth as a very human woman, young girl, in this difficult situation, it doesn't sound like the dream delivery among the sights, the sounds, the smells 
of the animals without your family present with you. And yet God is working perfectly. It doesn't seem like the perfect delivery, but he's working perfectly. God literally moved heaven and earth to ensure that there would be a census at this time so that Mary would not be in Nazareth where she's from, but she would be in Bethlehem when she delivered because hundreds of years ago, the Old Testament had prophesied that the deliverer, the Messiah, would come out of Bethlehem. And so is it perfect? Oh, yes. God has orchestrated everything. And, and it's perfect how Jesus comes as well. There's no royal fanfare. There's no regal pomp and, and you know, celebration uh, of, of a royal kingly nation, uh, nature when the Savior King comes. Rather, there is a stark humility. There is Jesus coming to identify with our humanity, with our weakness, with our reality. He doesn't come in some sort of birth that is otherworldly. It is very human because he comes relating to us. As a matter of fact, he not only comes relating to us, he comes having made himself poor. The scripture says that Jesus made himself poor that we might be made rich. Not materially, but the riches of grace, the riches of mercy, the riches of forgiveness are ours because Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to earth in humble circumstances, identifying with us and ultimately giving his life for us. Oh, it's perfect. Those who would be looking on would hardly see that God is working perfectly even when it doesn't seem that way. And the next section is the announcement of his birth, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, is that the perfect announcement that God has come to earth? Well, from a human perspective, it's hardly perfect. First of all, there's not very many people there. It's out in a field. It's not announced to the whole city of Bethlehem. It's not announced to all of Israel. It's announced to a few guys out in the middle of the field. And not only that, a few guys that were mistrusted in this society. Shepherds were a low class of individuals in this culture. The shepherds were notoriously people who were dishonest, who lied, who stole, they would, they would manage, they would herd, they would watch over uh, the sheep of an owner. They were hired to watch someone's sheep, and they would often have their own sheep as well. And yet they were known for not making a real good distinction between thine and mine. Oh, a sheep died, a wolf killed the sheep. Too bad that was the owner's sheep and not my sheep. As a matter of fact, shepherds were were known by character and just by reputation to be so dishonest that some Bible commentators say that they were not even permitted to give testimony in a court of law because it would be presumed to lack integrity. So why is the announcement out in the middle of nowhere to some guys who aren't going to get a good hearing to begin with? Why not appear to all the priests? Why didn't the angels come to like a ruler or a judge, someone with authority that was highly respected, maybe a famous teacher or rabbi? But shepherds is who he comes to. But it's just perfect. Because if you see what the announcement is, 
The angel said to them, verse 10 of chapter 2, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus comes for all the people. See, what's happening here is the outsiders are getting the announcement and becoming the insiders. God, in his mercy, has reached out to the marginalized, to the mistrusted, to perhaps the rejected. God has reached out to them on the margins of society, in the middle of night, in the dark, and told them this good news, that he will be for all people, for shepherds and for wise men. All people Jesus has come for. And the announcement is today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. It's an announcement of the perfect plan. The Savior, a Savior is one who rescues, one who saves. And he's telling them, the angels are saying that the perfect Savior has come to rescue an imperfect people like you and like me. You see, we are all imperfect. All imperfect, not just in the sort of Christmas Eve dinner gone bad sort of imperfect, but the kind of imperfect that's in our very souls. The Bible says that we are to obey God perfectly. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And yet none of us have fulfilled that. I haven't. You haven't. We have all acted in ways that were self-centered and self-motivated. We've sinned is what the Bible term for that is. And because of our sin, God holds us responsible and accountable. And we deserve to be judged. Actually, the Bible says we deserve to be condemned before a holy God when we consider the standard of perfection and how our lives measure up. And yet Jesus comes and he does live the perfect life. Jesus does love. He's God And he's man, and he loves his father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he always loves his neighbor as much as he does himself. He lives a perfect life. And those who believe get that record credited to them so that God relates to us as those who have never sinned. Once we believe in Christ, we're united in him. We're one with him. And God treats us as he treats his own son. He not only lived a perfect life, but he died a perfect death. See, we didn't need a Savior who would just come and set an example of what perfection looks like. If we just saw the perfect example, we would see that we can't measure up to that. We never could. And so his perfect example wouldn't be good news of great joy for all the people. It would be bad news of terrible despair for all the people because the perfect one has come, and it's just a reminder that you're not and that I'm not. But he didn't just come as an example, he came as a substitute sacrifice. That is, he died a death of sacrifice, like a lamb in the Old Testament. He died in our place for our sins. So that if we believe in him, our sins are counted by God as forgiven because he died for them. He paid the price for them. He he suffered the penalty that we should suffer. God judged him for our sins. And so now, if we believe in him, we recognize before a holy God, I'm not perfect. I've fallen in many ways, in many ways. And I I deserve, God, your judgment, but you're offering me your forgiveness, your mercy, your love, your welcome, your embrace. And, And to receive that, it's not enough just to know about it. We must respond to God believingly. We must trust that Jesus is our Savior We must turn from our sins, turn to him, and believe in him. 
And the way we can express that to him is by a simple prayer. There's no magic words. I don't have a magic word or a magic formula. It's just in your soul, in your own heart, before God, coming to the place where you say, however it is, or you think it, in your own words, you make a commitment, you come to God, and you say, Lord, I am an imperfect person. I am a sinful person. I'm not a holy person. I have not obeyed you in everything, and I deserve your judgment, but I believe that Jesus died for all my sins, and I believe that Jesus lived a righteous life in my place. And I turn to Jesus, and I receive the gift of salvation. I turn from my sin, I turn to Christ, and I believe. You can express that to God, and you will receive the, the enveloping love of God. You'll be adopted, the Bible says. You'll be made right with your heavenly Father, part of his family. You'll get a fresh start, a clean conscience, your sins forgiven, and most importantly, an eternal life. Eternal life. Your circumstances may not change. There may be family problems. There may be unfulfilled expectations in your life. There may be difficulty. But you know what? The perfect Christmas is not tied to our circumstances. The perfect Christmas isn't having all the right relatives in, all the right, in the right room, doing the right thing, and just getting along swimmingly. That is not the perfect Christmas. It's not getting the perfect gift, buying the perfect gift, having the perfect Hallmark greeting card moment. The perfect Christmas is in our brokenness and in our weakness and in our sinfulness and in our great need encountering the perfect Savior who gave his life for us and being touched by his love so that regardless of our circumstances, we can experience grace and love from him. And if you are a Christian... Listen, we experience the temptation that was dramatized here, the temptation to get circumstances to align just right. And I want to encourage you to take a really deep breath. You know, I'm glad we've seen this before Christmas. May this just be a good warning to all of us, a good memory that we don't have to have it. Matter of fact, it won't be perfect. It will not be perfect circumstantially. Something's going wrong. There will be some sin. There will be some unfulfilled expectation. Something won't happen. You know, a lot of things we may won't won't be there. Maybe you want to be married and you're not. Maybe you want children and you're not. Maybe you want to be healthy and you're not. Maybe you want a job and you don't have one. Maybe you want finances and you're in tremendous debt. You may have terrible circumstances this Christmas, but the reality is that by the grace of God, we can experience peace and grace and mercy as we lift our eyes off our circumstances and lift them up to the perfect Savior. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you that you are the perfect Savior, that you are the glorious God who has come to us and shown us mercy, and we want to thank you for that. Lord, I pray anybody in the room that does not know you, I pray they would turn to you today and believe and have all of their sins forgiven and receive a new start in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you came to rescue us, to save us, and to give us new life. And for those who do know you today, I pray, Lord, that you would grant the peace and the grace and the rest, that this would not be a season of high anxiety and high worry and unmet expectations, but this would be the season of your grace where we celebrate in the midst of our imperfection and sin and brokenness and weakness. In the midst of all that, we celebrate the one who is more than enough. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.